Charlie was one of my first ever students um, way back when, when I worked at the college. Um, so I wanted to get her back on and have a chat with her about what she's doing now, um, talk about all things with her training, her career, um, all that stuff. So Charlie, welcome. Thanks, Stu. Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. It's, um, it's something that I've, I've wanted to do for a while is to get people back in that I taught a long time ago, but are also have now really got their feet under the table and, and have, have done so many different things in their careers. And that's obviously, you know, that's you. So, um, so it's always nice. And it's always nice to, you know, to get on. This is a different way. You guys that are listening, you're not, you're not going to see this, but it's a different way of doing it. Normally we sit in a, in a room and have a chat on microphones and this is a completely different way. So I'm getting to have a proper chat and actually see you in person as well on the screen, which is cool. So, um, so Charlie, tell to introduce yourself first, just tell us a little bit about your background and history in the industry in terms of working, and then I want to get into your sporting background as well. Well, as you know, I started doing my level two and three personal training with you. I think I did my level three with you, yeah. and I feel very privileged that you taught me because you instilled a lot of your passion within me and a couple of the students that I did the course with. I think I'm the only one that's still working in the industry, unfortunately, but that's part and parcel of the fitness industry, isn't it? It's a very oh, transient yeah, well. industry. Yeah. And then following that, I worked as a personal trainer for maybe a, a few years. I can't remember how many, three, four, five, something like that. But I found it really frustrating. It wasn't my passion. Bringing people in that didn't really want to exercise. They just didn't want to be the physical state that they were wasn't where I was at and I had been powerlifting for a number of years by then so I thought to myself okay why don't I focus on strength and conditioning so I emailed St Mary's University in 2011 I think it was I'd like to come on to do your degree course but I've only got I had a degree at the at the time but it was um, in philosophy so I had a BA Right. I said, I don't have anything in science, but I've got this BA. And they said, well, you've got a degree. You've got quite an extensive history in powerlifting. You can go straight on to a master's. And I said, really? Wow. Yeah. I said, okay, yeah. So in 2012, I started my master's in strength and conditioning. Still doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> you've had a lot going on, to be fair. You've had a lot yeah. going on, so we'll come to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So they, my uni has been incredible with me and allowed me to have several years away where I've really needed them because I just haven't had the time to dedicate it to it. So hopefully next June, I'm going to go back and finish my dissertation and then I will have an MSc, <laughs> which I'm excited about. But the MSc was not only fantastic for the information that it gave me, but for the doors it opened. Sure. And from that, I've gone from being just a, let's say a bog standard personal trainer and I've managed to work internationally coaching powerlifting teams at European and world standard. And I've managed to work with Help for Heroes yeah. and their powerlifting team, taking them through the program that they do leading up to the um, Invictus Games. I've managed to branch out into so many different avenues, even community-based stuff. So we do a lot of work with uh, Disability Sports Swindon or Inclusive Sports Swindon, I should say. And, and engaging people that never thought ever of engaging with strength training. Yeah. One young lad, Stu, 
I know you from when you taught me, you would love this story. His name is Nathan. And I've, he's got um, Louis something. I can't remember the name of it now. Anyway, that they had thought that it's, it's, it's a very um, uh, gluttony based issue. So he can't stop eating. And one of the things is that he can't put on muscle mass. This kid came to me extremely strong already. He's like 17 years old. And after about four or five weeks, he was deadlifting 100 kilos. Oh, he wow. had no problem whatsoever with it. And I was speaking to his parents and his parents were just there every single session watching him going, I can't believe this. Yeah. I can't believe all the literature said, we can't do this, that and the other with him. And, and he's doing it. He's losing weight. He's getting confidence. Just... The opportunities, when you say yes to something, even if you don't think it's going to be that um, uh, profitable or, or if it's going to open many avenues, if you just say yes to things, yeah. the opportunities that can come forward are incredible. So I would definitely like to say thanks to you for starting oh. that off for me. Well, it's, you know what? it's a pleasure. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And there's, I said to you before we went on air, there's nothing that's more, that kind of fills me with more pride than seeing people go and do what they love to do and excel at it. Um, like you could easily look and say, well, you know, people go to work and have a job and they get paid and they pay their bills and whatever. But I could do that in so many different ways. Um, whereas this is more about, about, I think I said to you right at the beginning, it's about being able to say, I have all this passion for this industry and you have passion for the industry. All I've got to do is get you qualified and you will fly. Yeah. And that really, that's why we do it. I, I want people to enjoy their, their lives and their day-to-day -day work as much as I do. And, yeah. you know, I can't think of a better place to do it. And often as well, you, you know, we get people from career change or whatever, and they, they, might, they, they might not have, they've got a passion for fitness, and then maybe they go through their day-to-day -day life and they don't feel the, the direct impact of their work. Mm. Whereas what you've just said there, you, you directly impacted not only that, that boy, but his family, everyone that knows him, uh, struggled with him. And it's, um, you can tangibly see that impact. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I, that's what I love about this, this industry is, is we have the ability to do that. Um, yeah. And, and you, you teaching us uh, is exactly the same. So that benefit that you feel from teaching people who are passionate is exactly the same benefit that I have coaching people directly. Yeah. And so you're enabling us to be able to fulfill our passion and that passion of, of seeing people immediately benefit from their engagement with you, whether it's because they're learning something or because they're experiencing something or because they're growing as a person or confidence whatever it is, it's essentially the same things that we have a passion for. We yeah. just have slightly different outlets for it. Absolutely. And I think that's what's wonderful about working with people like you. And I've done a whole bunch of work with a lot of coaches in Swindon. And the ones that I've really enjoyed are exactly that. They're there to get the passion instilled in people and to get the benefits from the people, not to say, yeah, I'll have my 50 quid, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately it, there's still quite a lot of those though yeah there is and it's it's a funny i, I, I said this and god you would have heard me say this a number of times that if you enter a career for primarily just money you probably won't last in it whereas if you enter it for passion and the right reasons and to make a difference ironically enough you'll make money in it 
So it's, it's a case of, you know, as long as you're here for the right reasons, you will be fine. Um, but it's, it, it must, I know you've worked in a number of places in terms of that, that um, what we're describing, being able to really make a difference. And you, you've, you've said that, yeah, he's lost a bit of weight and he's put on some uh, muscle mass and, and your sport is all about um, numbers and figures and data and, um, and being able to put up raw numbers, be able to increase yes. those numbers. Um, that performance side, I've always felt quite a close kin to. Um, like, I think it's important that we shift our focus in terms of, because there's no, there is no perfect aesthetic, is there? Um, even the one that you think is perfect, that person isn't happy with. So yeah. it's being able to shift into a performance parameter and outcome that you can then go, well, I defy your body not to be doing something positive if it's getting better at this and better at that. How do you feel about the direction in terms of that? Um, that do you feel the shift is moving in the right direction or not? Uh, God, that's actually a really challenging question for me to answer because my entire world is powerlifting or performance based. Yeah. So I have no touch with any aesthetic based sports or arts whatsoever. Mm. So if I were a little bit more ingrained, perhaps let's say, for example, the, the, ultimate aesthetic sport is bodybuilding yeah let's take that for example if i were a little bit more ingrained in that maybe i'd have a bit of a more balanced view mm. from my little powerlifting world there's a huge amount of interest in it and, and, and i mean the sport membership has grown i think it's about five six hundred percent in the last five years it's huge wow exactly it's absolutely massive but I don't know how much bodybuilding is growing. So I don't have the comparison for that. And I, think I know a lot of people ways as well. Bodybuilding. Sorry. It's, not, it's grown in different ways in terms of bodybuilding as well. Right. So it's not just, you know, as big as you can possibly get It's There's so many categories and different types. Completely. Of, yeah. yeah. They've diversified massively, which was very clever of them because there's a lot of, for example, there's a lot of females that don't want to look muscular. They just want to look toned. And so they've introduced new categories where you, compete against looking toned uh, a few of my friends have done bodybuilding competitions and most of people i've spoken to have left feeling frustrated right. because they feel that they were unjustly taken away from a position or a medal because this judge favored that person mm -hmm. that doesn't settle with me very well at all i dislike immensely solely subjective sports yeah if you can like you say if it's based on raw data if you can judge a judge it solely on the performance then that's that's my cup of tea whether yeah. it's how high you jump how fast you run what weight you lift there are tiny little gray areas of course because there's technical things that they've got to pass but on the whole you can see when somebody's finished a sprint race first or not yeah and no one's going to say, well, you did come in just about second, but I liked your running style better than the first. So I'm going exactly. to give you a gold. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so it's, but yeah, that's, even, I, I don't want to, I don't want to criticize another sport because I really hate it when people get on podcasts and say, oh, I hate this sport and I hate that sport. If people, if that's what people like to do, great, do that. That's absolutely not my cup of tea. And I, and I do feel bad for all the people that I have encountered that's, that are extremely frustrated with the decisions that were put against them. But that's the sport that they've entered. They yeah. know the rules. They know what they're getting themselves into. 
and if you don't play by that game then don't expect to win but then that's the same with any sport you know the rule if you're not going to play by them don't expect to win yeah no i get that it's um it is interesting i've always been i've always been very interested in in terms of in your sport in powerlifting so um for anybody that's not kind of au fait um three main disciplines right three main lifts right do there any is there any variation um of in terms of different competitions like there is in different categories of bodybuilding is there any variation away from bench deadlift squat a little bit you will have at a a more of a regional level or or maybe if they're fun competitions you might have what we call push pull which is bench press and deadlift okay and uh up to world standard you have bench press only oh well okay but that's it okay but sorry within my federation so as you know with many amateur sports you've got tons of different federations because people don't like the way that somebody works so they branch off and do their own thing in other federations you will have single lift competitions as well for example so i lift under the ipf which is the international powerlifting federation it's the biggest federation in globally as it is nationally within in britain which is british powerlifting um we're also drug tested which is extremely important to me yeah. Uh, so is British Drug Free Powerlifting Association. <laughs> I'm trying to get the name right. Yeah. BDFPA. So they're the only other drug free federation that's um, legitimate. Let's say they're a long-standing one, and they do individual competitions. So you could become world champion of squat. Let's say. Right. In the IPF, it's bench and three lifts and that's it and then at regional levels we might have fun little push and pull competitions because for some reason people don't like to squat not a world i understand because squat is the best lift in the world but these people exist yeah it takes all sorts if we're all the same it'd be boring right yeah (laughs) i agree (laughs) so you you touched on drugs in in the sport like obviously anything that is wildly um muscular based and you know that kind of thing is gonna it's it's gonna be there so it, it's a bold move to call your organization i don't even know remember the name you said but the drug free whatever one that's a really that's the other one yeah so that is an interesting thing because that just that almost says like everyone else that doesn't say drug free it implies right now there are obviously going to be other places that aren't using that sort of thing but um you, you, must, you must have seen and competed against, at times, people that you kind of go, I know for sure. Just from year to oh, year, yeah, there's yeah. no way they've changed that much. Um, that yeah, much- and a lot of them do get caught eventually, which is great. There was a world-renowned bench press-only uh, British guy, unfortunately. There's not, not a lot of British people tend to delve into it. And he was caught last year, year before, he tested positive for a substance right. and it had been known or, or suspected I should say for years by people who had been around for a long time that he did take performance enhancing drugs yeah. so he's been caught he's been tested positive he's been banned for four years probably won't be back again fantastic news yeah unfortunately the testing program that's in place at the moment has only really been ramped up in the last uh, uh, I'd say like five to six years powerlifting really started growing in in um professionalism and in size when the world classic championships started in 2013 
So for those that are not, like you say, a fay with powerlifting, there's the three lift squat, bench and deadlift, but it also can separate again into classic and equipped powerlifting. Classic lifting is what you will see in the gym. People wearing squat shoes about maybe wrist straps and that's about it. Equipped powerlifting is where you might see on YouTube people in squat suits and they've got knee wraps on. There is absolutely no difference in terms of the quality of the lifters within their at, at, at world level. Yeah. Um, but obviously the ease of access to classic lifting is is massive. You know, yeah. you could you could turn up with just some trainers on and, and do it as long as you've got a singlet. So since from 2013, I think there was, gosh, I can't even remember now, uh, let's say like 10, 15 nations that competed. And now, uh, I can't remember, but I think there's like 20, 25 plus nations that are now competing. And it is just huge. But, but the introduction of classic powerlifting is what grew the sport yeah. alongside the growth of CrossFit. So, you know, there's, it was quite multifactorial how it grew. But powerlifting managed to build on that, which is, which is really important. But on top of that, it needed to also up the anti-doping program that it had in place. And it, and it has grown. In my opinion, not as much as it needs to, but there are many variables as to why. Fortunately, I think internationally, the, the anti-doping program has grown as much as it needs to. So we may not catch everybody nationally, but once they go internationally, it's, it's pretty hard to, to avoid it. Because that's, that's always the thing that, that, that crossed my mind. Like, unless you are in a sport that is, you know, you've got a tracker on you, Right. And I know they do this in things like, you know, UFC, they'll have, they have, if they're going away for a weekend, you've got to tell, you, you know, the drug agency where you're going and where you're going to be. So that if they want to turn up, they can turn yeah. up. Um, yeah. So that was always the thing that, that got my, got to me. If you turn up to an event, they test you there and then, and then you go home, you never don't see them for another year. Yeah. You could do anything in yeah. that year. Um, it'll be yeah. out of your system yeah. at that point and whatever. So it's, um, it's always, it, but as you said, if a federation is going to grow, if it's small, the money's not there to put into the programs to make yeah. sure it's clean. Yeah. And if you want it to be clean, is the only way you're going to get the really legitimate yeah. athletes that want to be involved in it. Uh, yeah. It's difficult to grow, isn't it? Well, that's why I'm part of the IPF, because the IPF has signed up to the Adams program, which uh, means something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So when I, when I have been selected for the GB team, hmm. my data goes into the database and I have to tell them where I will be at all times. Yeah. I also have to give a nominated time for out of competition testing, which I've given 6 till 7 a.m. at my home address because I'm always going to be there at that time. Yeah. They know where I'm training, at what time I'm training. They know where I'm working during the day. And equally, when I take holidays, they know when I'm going to be away. So I've been out, out of competition tested quite a few times. And you wake up to a knock at the door at six o'clock in the morning. You think, oh, my God, what's happened? Yeah. And it's just the officer there going, hi, I'm here to test you. Oh, thank God. It's not the police <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. What a job to have, isn't it? Well, you can yeah. get your rotor and be like, oh, six o'clock in the morning, I've got to be in Swindon to test. It's, yeah, what a job to have. Yeah. 
and they go around the world doing it. So their time clocks must be ruined. All over the place. But, they, but, but, but the IPF signed up to it about, I'll be honest, I can't remember, but I've done a lot of it in the last five, six, seven years. So that, that period of time. And I think that has been instrumental in raising the bar for yeah. anti-doping program within the IPF. And the IPF are the only powerlifting federation that are this close to getting things like IOC recognition. Yeah. You know, it's really pushing itself forward to become professional sport. And, and as we talked about earlier on, that's what it's all about. It's about professionalism. It's about performance. It's about raising your bar and being within a, a group of people that want to be the best, yeah. not given a title because you were the only person that turned up that day. You have competed against the best people in the world and this is where you've come. Yeah. That is what sport is to me. 100%. I'm with you for sure. And again, it's, it, it's, I mean, that's to be able to go and compete in anything for your country is just an unbelievable achievement. Like, what are your career highlights in, in that regard? How would I be able to pin them all down <laughs> to a short period of time? Yeah, we've only got till. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how I like to chat, Stu. <laughs> oh my God, career highlights would be for my own performance, winning bronze at the European. That was incredible. Mm. Breaking uh, national records when I was out at international competitions. Ah, oh, I think, was it two years ago? I got, unfortunately, I got a pretty debilitating back injury in 2018 when I was doing the nationals but I tried to fight through it and still compete at the Europeans I wasn't able to and it stopped me from squatting but I was still able to bench press and I managed to break the British bench record then what was that uh 150 kilos Ooh. so I was I was broken like so broken but I was able to achieve that and I can't tell you I was so proud of myself and yeah. the positive um messages I got from people because I wasn't willing to give up I was just fighting until I until I couldn't walk literally until I couldn't walk anymore that's amazing and and so that was actually a career highlight not because of what I achieved uh compared to everybody else but for what I managed to overcome yeah and being able to watch the most incredible strength athletes in the world live in front of my eyes that has got to be probably I, I can't tell you which is the best privilege but I've been so privileged to see I've seen a 67 67 what was her weight 63 kilo lifter sorry squat 250 kilos oh my lord That's I've seen I have also seen Weili Chen from China. She's an Olympic weightlifter and a powerlifter, both classic and equipped. <laughs> I saw her Sorry. at the World Championships. She weighs 50, it's either 52 or 57 kilos. I can't remember. I think it's 52 kilos. She squatted 200 kilos. Oh, that, that, it doesn't make sense. Like, right so so imagine that now i'm just giving you a few examples there's yeah. also a 66 kilo uh, man hussein albergetti from france who is he's definitely around about my age so he's between 35 and, and 40 let's say 
maybe a touch older, I can't remember, but he's not a young chicken. Yeah. I've seen him deadlift 305 kilos. <laughs> These it's... things are mind blowing. I get to see them over and over again. I've yes. seen the heaviest squat in the world, heaviest drug-free squat in the world. I've seen 485 kilos. I've seen 500 kilos. I've seen 515 kilos. I've seen so many phenomenal feats of strength. Yeah. And then I've got to compete alongside them. Yeah. Just like I said, you don't have enough time for me to tell you the <laughs> privileges I've had of being part of the GB team. Yeah. Meeting people I'd never thought I'd meet before. Going to places I never would have dreamed of going to has been just, I'll never forget it. And I am so thankful that I said yes to my first invitation to be part of the GB team rather than trying to stick with my rugby career. Yeah. Because like I said earlier on, you just say yes. You say yes to things. You don't know where it's going to take you. And it's taken me to places I never dreamed possible. 100%. And it's just been the best thing. Could not agree more. We're saying yes. I've, I've, it was not my quote, but I've said it over and over again. You say yes and you figure it out. Like, yeah, completely. For sure. Yeah, I'm so on board with that one. So true. You'll figure <laughs> it out. If it's important to you, you'll figure it out. I remember I said to you before we went on air, we were catching up and I said about being able to go abroad um, to run courses um, like at resorts and whatnot. But the first time we were asked to do that um, was for an exercise to music course. Right, so it was it was based on aerobics and step aerobics, and I had I just, I'd never taught that before. Um, so I had six months between saying, "Yeah, of course we can run that course for you," to get myself ready in terms of running aerobics courses, and it was it it was I can't tell you how how much more respect I have for just the rhythm and coordination that sort of thing takes. Um, mm. But I was absolutely not going to miss out on that opportunity. Mm. I will definitely figure out how to do every move I need to, be to, move, uh, to do in order to be there. So it's, uh, if totally, I just know, I'm we so can So on board with that. So yeah. on board with that. Like I said about my, um, my masters, I was just looking at doing a degree. They said, you can do a masters. I had never touched science in my no. life. I'd never read a science paper. You know, all the science that I knew about sport and exercise was the stuff I'd done through my level two, level three, maybe yeah. reading the odd book like start and strength but real science nothing no and i said let's go with it let's have a go oh wow <laughs> well uh let's just say the first year was interesting yeah but because i did join up with them and i did talk with people and i did network i then met and worked um with the then St. Mary's, the head coach at St. Mary's Strength, who was also the head coach at Help for Heroes powerlifting team. So he then said to me, um, I need an assistant coach. Would you like to come and do a couple of camps? Yes, I would. Thank you very much. Then I managed to get secure my position as assistant coach. So I went, managed to go through the Invictus Games pathway in 2018, which was Oh, I can't, that was so mind-blowing. The people I met, the stories I heard, the passions that I managed to engage with and how they overcame things. Yeah. And I managed to be part of that. Yeah. The tears I shed with these people on a regular basis just because I was so proud of them. And then I got to watch them in Australia and I was furiously tapping away on my WhatsApp to them. Oh my God, I'm so proud of you guys. When you say yes, things happen 
granted sometimes you can take say yes a few too many times yep. and you go oh god yeah <laughs> how do i juggle this yeah there's so much to do what have i done it's it's so true though the the opportunities that can come that you just didn't plan and prep for ever um uh, it's just uh i mean you think on a on a level i say this to students all the time on a level of of um impact in people's lives um in terms of being a personal trainer like you know there's there's inevitably there's like the um the barriers and there's certain things that you well you've got to keep your distance on this and that and that's what everything says in terms of literature which is fine um but you know i've been to clients weddings i've been to you know so it's it's such a nice thing that you have such an impact on people's lives yeah that you are really bought into that family and yeah. that makes a big difference it, i think you, you know yes you need to be professional um you need to keep an element of, of professionalism in the sessions and distance and that kind of thing. Mm. But it's so nice when you get really included in that sort of thing where you've made such an impact on somebody and mm -hmm. they have on you that you have lifelong friendships. Like I've got clients that I used to train years ago. I haven't trained in, in forever, yeah. but you know, they were all, they're all at the end of the phone. They're all you know, close friends for life, which is amazing. A perfect example of that is the people that I started swimming barbell with. Mm. Helen used to be a client of mine. There you go. I said to her one day, uh, I've had enough of this. I don't like doing this anymore. Not, not training her. I like training her. It was, <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> but I said, I don't like what I'm doing with my career. I want to start. I just want to do powerlifting. That's all I'm interested in. And she said, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I'm on board with you. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Uh, let's grab somebody else. So we grabbed uh, Steve Bennett from Swindon Storm American football team. Yeah who's also level two, three, 17, I don't know, qualified <laughs> weightlifting coach. <laughs> and the three of us got it going and he helped us for the first year and then he got too busy with America, uh, with um, Swindon Storm. Yeah. So left us to it and it's just grown and grown and grown. And so you, like you said, you just don't know, but being so being professional, in my opinion, is one of the most important things you can do as a personal trainer. There are so many a personal trainer or a fitness coach or a life coach or whatever coach you're going to be, mm. you are a source of information. You are a role model. You are a leader. So yeah. that element of professionalism has always got to be there. And I would probably put money on talking to any of those people that you just spoke about. The reason that they are friends with you for life is because of your professionalism yeah. and professionalism can still be part of a friendship. You just have to instill your boundaries and just don't deviate from them. Yeah. Powerlifting is a really, well, certainly was a, an extremely male dominated sport. So coming up through that sport, I, as a woman had to balance being around these very testosterone fueled muscular men and and trying to have an impact that's positive and not sexually based. Yeah. So that was really challenging. I say really challenging. It's not like <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like super hard work. I didn't try and throw <laughs> myself at them. But you know, to try and get them to understand that you are not something to look at. You are another powerlifter yeah. that's there. Fortunately, the um, the attitudes have changed a little bit. But within my club as well, you know, I've had young women come in and they wear their tiny little shorts or their little tops and I've said 
listen, there's a uniform here for a reason. You are not going to throw yourself at every man that's in here. And equally with the guys as well, the ones that tried to chain with their top offs. Can you put your T-shirt back on, please? But why? Because that's the uniform around here and it's yeah. there for a reason. It sounds like I'm being really anal about things, but it's there for a reason. And it's because of that professionalism. Unfortunately, yeah. all the high level lifters that have ever come into the club have only ever seen me as a coach. I've never had anything other than that. Yeah. I could take that as an insult, perhaps, if I really wanted to, but I'm not going <laughs> to. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm too positive for that. But you've, set, you've also set, um, you've set the bar, you've set your stall out. So now that you, if you walk into a club and it's all um, set out professionally and the people have a lot of respect for each other, mm. you're not going to walk in and disrespect that. Whereas at the beginning would have been the, very, the most difficult part was setting out those boundaries at the, at the outset. Um, how did you balance, like, how did you find it? I know it's, there's, a, there's a passion for the sport, but how did you find being a woman in a male-dominated sport in terms of, not in terms of being something to look at, but in terms of being legitimately respected in that sport? Did you find that difficult? Was it tough at first? I, it was, I Ooh. <laughs> about 14 different thoughts coming through at once it's a difficult one isn't it because it, you know at the beginning it was really hard because uh, like f my first internet my first sorry national championships I think I was one of about 20 women competing and this was being held in a uh, performance hall in Birmingham where there were hundreds of men so we we really were outnumbered yeah. But I think the most important thing is that you recognize whatever your minority or perceived minority is, if you, if you define yourself as that, other people will define you as that. Mm -hmm. If you define yourself as what you want people to see you as, so for me it was a coach or a powerlifter, then people will see you as that. So if people were to make... Uh, let's say, for example, flirtatious remarks, then they would be returned with some witty banter because I am full of that. <laughs> yeah. Or if somebody was trying to um, to put me down as a powerlifter because I was a woman, yeah. okay, fine, if that's your attitude, not a problem. I just don't give that any attention whatsoever. If you are positive with your actions and move forward in the way that you want to be defined, people will follow that. Mm -hmm. But if you react negatively or if you perceive yourself negatively, people will, will feed on that. Yeah. So it's, it's up to us as individuals to demand that respect or that attitude from other people. It's not about, well, I'm offended by that or you shouldn't treat me like that. You shouldn't allow people to treat you like that. And if they're going to treat you like that, don't work with them. Don't yeah. deal with them. Move on. There are literally billions of people in this world. Yeah. Quite a lot of them are able to treat you with respect. Yeah. It's, that's a, it's a great attitude to it. Cause it's, um, it, it is, it, it's an interesting um, conversation. Like, in, in terms of different sports and the respect that different sports get between the genders. And it's, uh, it's something that, that I think needs to be discussed more. Um, and it should, like, and I, I just know from, from very, very male dominated environments and especially you're talking about testosterone fueled environments, 
Um, and you're going to get people who are not very nice in all aspects yeah. um, of life, but you're also going to get people that are respectful and, um, and appreciative of what you're bringing to the table, which is great. So it's just what I wanted to ask, because it's, I think it's, um, it's a difficult one to, to pin down how you feel in that sort of environment, um, whether you're made to feel intimidated or whether you're made to feel welcome or, or whatever. Um, well, so I'm sure you remember the, um, the old strength free weight section in the gym where oh, yeah. <laughs> you taught me yeah. it was you, you had to walk through this tiny little door into this room that was all squat racks and bench presses. And there were enormous men yeah. training in there and nothing else. Yeah. So when I was a little 75 kilo, 22 year old walking into this, like barely able to bench press the bar it was intimidating but i still did it yeah just because those people were there they weren't saying anything to me and my nerves were all coming from me they yeah. were all coming from what i perceived they would think of me yeah. when in actual fact now i've been in the industry for nearly 20 years nobody thinks that everybody yeah. looks at you go good for you for stein yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that is what you have to, that's kind of what I'm saying about like what you project out. If you project out, don't judge me because of blah, blah, blah. I'm giving it a go. People will go, good for you for giving it a go. Yeah. Or don't look at me as I'm a woman. Look at me as I'm your coach. Then yeah. people will go, yes, coach. I love Do you, does, is, is that message coming across? Yeah. No, it's 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the ironic thing is, if you go back to that time and I walk into the gym with you, we both walk into that area, you're stronger than I am, way stronger. So yeah. there should be no reason for any of this at all. But it does, it, but and also what I love about the movement in the industry right now is there's way more women lifting weight, way more women that are waiting for you to finish your sets in the squat rack so they can get in there, which mm -hmm. is fantastic to see. Yeah. It's yeah. so much better than it was. Um, when I first started, it wasn't that way at all. It was yeah. still very yeah. much a case of, well, men lift weights and it's, it, which is ridiculous because it's because muscle tissue is muscle tissue and it needs to be pushed um, exactly. regardless because it's healthy. So it's, uh, I love what I'm seeing now in terms of that. Um, I think it's, we're in a way better spot than we were 20 years ago in this industry. Yeah, definitely. There's still a lot of work that can be done. And, and I think it's still going to take another 20 years of a certain male personality being used to seeing women working hard mm -hmm. there is still that element but it's slowly it is slowly changing and I, I think more women need to stand up and say I'm doing this because I'm a human being not because I'm a woman yeah if we take away our labels then we're not labeled as anything other than a human being yeah no, I love it. I think it's brilliant. And, and you're right to approach it with a positive attitude. Is, is, that's exactly what you want. Can I ask you about your, because um, I'm obviously very interested in the S&C side. Can I ask you about how you get yourself prepped in terms of like periodization for your sort of sport? Because it's on the outside looking in, it's a very basic sport. You've got three things you need to do and you need to do them to the maximum that you can do them. Yep. So, but you obviously cannot rev the engine at a hundred percent the whole way through the year so no, no. how do you kind of move around that are you 
systematically building up six months before the biggest competition and then you know working on a six rep max and then slowly building the weight up to a one rep max like how do you do that yeah essentially you're looking at that there's going to be there's going to be phases of hypertrophy that has to happen the correlation between muscle mass and strength is is almost one yeah. uh for those that like a little bit of statistics uh i think i think it's like r equals not uh 0.91 or something like that so it, it's very close to one up until a point where the neuromuscular system takes over so it you have to structure your programming or or if, if i'm programming myself it has to take into account the experience of the lifter the muscle mass of the lifter, the biomechanics of the lifter, their annual program, how many competitions they want to do in a year, whether they're regional um, quality, national quality, international quality, how um, I already said experience. I did a blog on this and it was huge <laughs> because there's so many things to take into account. So the, the principles of, of just muscle mass building are, are one element because you've got to build the body, you've got to build the brain-body connection, and you've got to build the brain's ability to take on all these different stimulus throughout the competition. The nerves, the technical commands, the time spent waiting. (laughs) Everybody looks at powerlifting and goes, oh, well, you just stand on the platform nine times and then you're done. You have to weigh in two hours before, and then you're either waiting for days beforehand to try and cut weight and then you're just shoveling your face full of food and then you've got that coma going on and then you've got to suddenly go and perform or you've got to rehydrate and your muscles have got to get back up to performance level or you're just sitting there waiting for two hours to weigh in and then if you are let's say a more regional competition it's been delayed a little bit might put back an hour so you're waiting three hours just sitting there waiting so to try and keep your focus, I know I've taken a super heavyweight to a regional competition. He had to weigh in at eight o'clock in the morning. He didn't compete until four o'clock in the afternoon. Ooh. Imagine yeah. trying to keep your focus for yeah. that long. He was exhausted by the time he started lifting. Yeah, yeah. So the amount of variables you've got to take into account, you will create, let's say, a 12-week program, for example. You're always going to have a little bit of hypertrophy then you're going to have a strength phase and then you're going to have a max strength up to peaking phase. How you manage that, whether it is weekly undulating. So you may have, uh, you may base it on percentages or you might base it on RPE rate of perceived exertion, or you may do it on a little bit more of an undulate uh, daily undulating one. Sorry, for example. So, uh, like, the day one you may do eight reps and then day two you may do six and then day three you may do four and then and then that carries on so that that there's actually quite a wide variety of principles that you can apply to your powerlifting program but if anybody's listening to this and is and has been looking into the strength training and and how to program themselves my advice is start simple (laughs) some of these programs like to really be complicated start simple start with a simple linear program where you go from high volume down to low volume and you start from low intensity so low weights up to high weights Mm 
Yeah. You might start from eights, going down to sixes, fives, four, three, two, one, over a 12 week program. You might start at 50% of one rep max, build up 60, 70, 80, 90, 95 in a 12 week program. Yeah. Start simple. From that, learn what your strengths and weaknesses are. Oh, I really responded to the hypertrophy phase. Brilliant. I'll do an eight week bulk of that and I'll, I'll, I'll cut down the, the strength phase slightly. Or hypertrophy really hurt my lower back. Why is my lower back hurting? Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe I need a bit of a biomechanical analysis of what my movement pattern is. Oh, look, I'm, I'm flexing at my lumbar region. Okay, right, so I need to address this. So you'll be doing hypertrophy, but you'll be doing solely technique-based hypertrophy. In actual fact, it might be more around fives, but where, let's say, instead of doing three sets of eight, which is 24 reps, you might do five sets of five, which is 25 reps. So you're still getting the overall work, but you're reducing the rep range so you can really improve the quality of the lifting. So it's a simple sport, Stu. Yeah. It is. I'm with you on that. It is. And as long as you approach it with the right principles at the right time and you structure yourself, everything is simple about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, social media like to make it really complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's so true do you know what there's a there's a <clears throat> there's a, a bit of an old adage that i've heard with this and it was um you know a, a series of load of strength coaches sitting around a table and they're arguing about which is the best way to make someone strong and it's this coach says oh the five three one is the best way and the other guy says no 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 it's a five five it's five by five and the the, the oldest coach there says the best way to make someone strong is to put more weight on the bar yeah simple and yeah. no matter whether you respond well to one reps, to five reps, to 10 reps, as long as that weight is going up on the bar, you're getting stronger. And your peak yeah. is to make sure that you're at your one rep max when you are competing. Yeah. So there's no point working on a hypertrophy phase right up until when you're going to compete because you're not neurally driven in to do that lift. So it's a very interesting one, but we do overcomplicate things. We're always looking for the best program for this and the best program for that. But it's, um, it's I would always say, and I'm a big believer in, in, looking at what lane you really enjoy you said at the outset like you're really keen on specific on this specific thing that's all you want to do and I've always I've always followed that same sort of um, process of if this is what I'm passionate about let me throw myself in mm -hmm. if someone comes to me and said I really need your help I've got this to do or that to do it's not my thing then let's see if I can refer you to someone whose thing that is and it's so important I think that that we have an understanding of what we're good at and what we're passionate about. Completely. For example, when we first started Swindon Barbell, uh, because of the masters that I've done, I can, I am qualified to teach weightlifting. Mm -hmm. So when we started it off, I said, yeah, sure. I can teach the weightlifting. So I started teaching it a little bit and realized that I just have no passion for it. I am wholeheartedly powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Cut me, you will bleed. P-O-W-E-R, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that we started advertising for a weightlifting coach and, and we've got one unfortunately lockdown happened before she could start but uh you know once we we're up and back up and running uh we'll be integrating a, her into our services and she's as passionate about weightlifting as the rest of us are about powerlifting and that's what you need as you know as you teach you your students will respond to you when you have passion for what you're teaching but mm. if you if you're doing it because it's an, an added bit that you're supposed to be doing nobody's going to enjoy it as much 
No. And the client won't get what they need out of it either. Um, exactly. So I think one of the big things of personal training is to be able to say whatever that, in whatever iteration it is, coaching, lifting, whatever, is to be able to go, here's all my stuff and all my issues and barriers and everything that I need to work on. Here, I'm handing this over to you. Um, and I need to be confident that I can now forget it all in my mind and let you deal with it. And yeah. I think that's, that's the big difference between, um, you know, being a really good PT and, you know, and, and not being a really good PT is being able to take that on and go, yeah, let me relieve you of that burden yeah. of that stress. Yeah. Um, you know, we've done it with, with football players and boxers and whatever. It's going to go, you don't have to worry about that anymore because all you got to do is turn up and do what I say because I've covered yeah. it. And there needs to be a trust that, that in your ability to cover all those details. Completely. Um, and, and that's why I went into S&C because whether you're a PT or whether you are a strength coach or whether you're an S&C coach for football or cricket, you essentially are doing the same job. You just have different clients or you might be um, employing different principles of how the body works. But taking somebody who, who is dedicated and, and this is where I, I, I shied away from PT because 80% of the clients that I had, their dedication waned yeah. and I wasn't interested in that. If you're going to come to me and say, I want to do something I'll give you a hundred percent. You better give me a hundred percent. Otherwise this relationship is going to end quickly. And a lot of them did. So when you go into the performance realm of things, whether it's for aesthetics, whether it's for um, physical ability, whatever it is, when you've got somebody who is dedicated, I'm fortunate enough to have some phenomenal people that I train their attitude. You know, I got one lad that's been with us since the beginning not built for powerlifting at all but he said i love this sport i want to do it and i said right if you want to do this it's going to take a long time but we're going to do this i'm going to be with you the whole way still a few i have four years five years however long however many years later he's still there and he is he's just getting to that bar he's yeah. just getting there and then another few years and he'll be at that bar and then he'll be at that bar yes and I'll get him international. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that. You say built for powerlifting. What does that look like? Short squat. Okay. Done. Done. Your biomechanics don't need to move. Your lever, sorry. So your, your arms and your legs don't need to move far for the bar to move. Yeah. But you have got naturally a huge amount of muscle mass already on there. Right. There is a 59 kilo male Russian lifter who is four foot ten. Wow. He can squat. How much have you done? I don't want to outdo. I'm, I'm going to say he's done nearly 300 kilos or he has done 300 kilos. That's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Now, I will say that he has been tested positive in the past. So that is a little bit of a blemish on his record. But if we negate... You've still got to move that weight. You've still got to do that. Yeah. All by yourself. Yeah. It doesn't matter what drugs you put in your system or what equipment you put on your body. Yeah. Your muscles have still got to take that weight. Phenomenal. That's incredible. But he has got beautiful biomechanics. And I mean, you can be six foot three and have beautiful biomechanics. Yeah. But... And that's not to say that you need to be naturally born 
with beautiful biomechanics to be good at powerlifting. You can overcome that, but that's where the intelligent programming and yes. development, that's where that kind of comes into play. Yeah. Some athletes are born for their sport, aren't they? And in other ones, you have to kind of wedge in somehow. Um, totally. Look at you saying Bolt. Exactly. How many people, when he first won at Beijing, Beijing, 2008? Um, no. Yeah, it was 2008, wasn't it? Beijing. Is it that? Yeah, it was. It was that long ago. <laughs> that was a while ago. And <laughs> London 2012 afterwards. Yeah. Oh, and we're he, getting old. Obviously, London 2012, you know, he, he came in as the star of stars. 2008, he kind of burst on the scene. Yeah. And in 2009, people are saying, oh, he theoretically, the experts are saying he theoretically could run this pace. If we sort this out and sort that and his knees come across his body and this and that, sometimes don't mess with it. Like, it doesn't matter. He's, he's perfect Michael, for this. Michael Johnson is a there perfect example. Yeah. Don't mess with that running style. No, let him do his thing. Yeah. And he was unbelievably quick, but it yeah. wasn't about his um well for him it was about his natural way of moving because that worked for him yes and it, and it didn't fit this technical model there, there's prince i think the benefit of michael johnson was that he knew himself he was he was very strong-minded but his yeah. coach said yeah okay you don't fit in this model but the principles you are applying effectively so let's go with the principles rather than trying to fit this perfect technical model right. which a lot of people when they're watching powerlifters they try to achieve this technical model that they're seeing on on videos yeah rather than adapting the principles to their own body and yeah. that's the difference between a crappy coach and an excellent coach a crappy coach will will right you need to sit back onto a box and do a box squat and then you'll be really good at squatting Whereas a good coach will go, okay, you're six foot three, your femurs are massive. Mm. How do we adapt this? Right, okay, let's get a lot of ankle mobility in so that the ankles can move, so that the femurs can go forwards and backwards and your body can go up and down. Right, let's, yeah. let's start with this process and build you upwards. That's the difference. And I, and I think in powerlifting, where it's an amateur sport, probably the same as a lot of amateur sports. I'm sure there's martial arts that are like it as well. And, and the bodybuilding that we mentioned, there are so many people that go, yeah, that's easy. I'll coach that. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. And spot my mile off. Yeah. It's so true. And you say about things like squatting and femurs and whatever, a very common one I ask on every start of every course, gym, gym instructor course, when we're doing just technique on, you know, you need to be able to do these teaching points for your squat. Obviously we've got a criteria to hit and so on. Um, but it's always the same. You know, you hear every time you hear the knee should never go over the toe. And that's the teaching point, right? That's the, if you almost go, oh, you've heard that teaching point tick because you, you know what you're talking about in terms of that. Exactly. And actually say, is the heel on the ground? And do you have adequate dorsiflexion to get there? Because if, if that's both of those are, are, are tick boxes, then I'm not worried about that. Your femur is your femur. And that might, that might be the reason that you're over the toe. And it's okay. Like, so it, a lot of it is like you said, goes back to, like you said, fit the person to the principles rather than, that you have to form the principles around the person. It's interesting. Yeah. And if you get a really good understanding of the principles, then you'll be fine. Yeah. As a coach, you'll be laughing. I love it. I know you've got to get out of here. So I'm just last little words of wisdom for anybody new entering the industry from you. Um, I, I, I'm never an ummer, but you've really stumped me on a few <laughs> questions i should have asked i should have I asked these before <laughs> yeah <laughs> words of wisdom would 
B, find your passion, whether it's, even if it's in the most niche section of sport, whatever is your passion, stick with it, believe with it, believe in it, immerse yourself in the information. Don't follow social media. Immerse yourself in the high quality information that's out there. Find the principles that work for you as a coach about the sport, about coaching quality, about building your business and stick with them. Love it. And if, and if you can do that, you will grow. Love that. Thank you. And thank you so much for doing that. I'm really, really proud of what you've achieved. It's, um, it's brilliant. It's great to catch up. Thanks for starting me off. Ah, it's a pleasure.